This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hey, 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 you're back in the radio land. Uh, we are in the studio. We're getting a couple episodes knocked out. It's uh, it's good to be back. It feels good to be here. It does. It's nice to be recording again for a little bit. And it's going to be a crazy fall for both of us. So I have a bunch of hunts lined up. And, uh, you know, where Patrick is definitely, Patrick drew a tag. So we're going to go get that filled. He's got to get his wing better. but yeah. And I got to get some lung capacity back. <laughs> Yeah, we're both kind of on the mend, but that's okay. We'll we'll be fine. Uh, I did lose a summer. I, I'm not gonna uh, lie between between show season and getting sick. Summer is coming to a close quickly, but that brings us into fall, which is uh, my favorite time to go backpacking. Yeah, it's the time of year to get your stuff. Go to the mountains. The mountains are calling. I can hear them, and get just get away from all the craziness for a little while. So Patrick and I are pretty uh, excited to announce that we are both uh, Kufaru owners. That's right. Kufaru packs are something else. So I have a lot of packs in the booth, and there's a lot of good pack manufacturers out there. I'm not going to throw any of them under the bus by any means. I want one that I will give a shout out to is old Dana Gleason's with Dana Designs. There's a picture of uh, my Astroplane, and it has had hundreds of pounds in it. Multiple times it's had over a hundred and once it's had over 200 and it's, it is brutal to have that much weight in a backpack and that backpack is so big. It looks like a black bear on my back, but when you need the capacity and the strength to be able to manage that load, it's pretty nice. So yeah, we, uh, Patrick and I both kind of got to chatting and said, Hey, we need to upgrade our backpacks for our fishing and hunting adventures. And <laughs> we, uh, we got, we stepped up to the big boy leagues and got Kafaru. Man, mine is a big step up from my 1970s Jan sport, you know, aluminum frame pack that about killed me. Aluminum frame backboard external pack. I mean, it was <laughs> it was wearing blisters in his back, and he kept saying, oh, I'll be all right. This is a good backpack. And yeah. I convinced him that, yeah, it was a good backpack 40 years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. And this Kafaru pack is something else. I mean, it, it really distributes the weight well. Uh, I like the lumbar support, too. I got the 44 mag, and that support makes a difference. So it's almost 44 100 cubic inches. It has the ultralight frame on it. You know, you get to customize your waist belt to your size, your frame height to your size, and then it has all the adjustments. And then you get to pick the bag that goes on that frame. So I actually went with the 22 mag. So it's almost half the capacity of your bag. But it's great, right? Especially, I mean, a lot of you out there probably don't need a real big bag, especially if you're just doing a one or two day, you know, just hike in, hike out kind of deal. But if you're going to do, you know, a longer trip, then you're going to want a little bit more. And the thing that's interesting, Patrick, is once you get past the one, two day gear requirements, like you start looking at what you need for three, four days, you don't need a whole lot more for 10 days other than the weight of food. That's where you have to have the capacity in that backpack. So my, my high country mule deer setup for four or five days 
as far as a hunting setup, when you add the DLSR, you add the spotting scope, you add pad, sleeping bag, bag, stove, and we could go through a detailed list and we're, that's not what this is about. And we're not going to tell you exactly what you need to get. But what I'm saying is by the time you put that all together, the only difference between the weight of that and like a 10 or a 14 day expedition doll sheep kind of backpack is just two more pounds of food per day sure. and trying to hit between that two and 3000 calories per, you know, a thousand calories per pound. So right at two and a half pounds per day of food is what I pack. And I'm somewhere between 2,500 and 3000, uh, almond butter, regular butter, Snickers, super calorie dense, rich food, oatmeal for breakfast. Uh, the one that I'm really digging lately is mountain house makes a breakfast scramble Mm-hmm. And then I've been taking Boyke's, which is Biltong air dried and put it in the scrambled eggs in the morning, pack those mini salt and pepper packets. Yeah. It's kind of hard with COVID to get into McDonald's and get in the lobby and steal <laughs> those things. But I put a, sorry, McDonald's. I, yeah. I, I didn't steal them. I procured them with my uh, Big Mac I bought from you, but I just saved them and didn't put them on my fries and I pack them into the woods because those little <laughs> salt and pepper packets are perfect. You know, yep. single disposable use. It's just the right amount. So, but like I said, I'm, I'm probably pushing 47 pounds for a two, three day hunt with all my gear. And I, I, to stay 14 days, I only need two extra pounds per day every day. So what's your favorite mountain house? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I've said several times, you know, a little tangent, you know, I used to work at the mountain house way back in the day. The people that bought Oregon freeze dry that make mountain house meals actually used to own a uh, stagecoach stop on the South Santa Am highway and called the mountain house. And that's why they named that product after it. But I worked there long after they had sold it and weren't the owners, but little, little connection, little, yeah. if you didn't know, so you can go Google the mountain house. It's a uh, truly sad. It, you know, when I worked there, it was kind of a, it was just a restaurant slash convenience store. Didn't even have gas, but it just had snacks and the best blackberry pie you could get in the world. Pull in there and get you a good cheeseburger. And so shout out to, uh, shout out to my mountain house family. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been cool. a long time, Dan and Kimmy, but they, they owned it and I worked there and that's actually where I met my wife is I was working there and she was working for the forest service and would drive by every day. But that's my mountain house tangent is I worked there for a couple of years. My favorite mountain house would have to be beef stroganoff. I really do like that one. I'd say that's a pretty darn good choice. And I mean, there's a few different brands besides mountain house, but I Peak like refuel is really good. Peak refuel. I got onto last year and that's some good stuff. Uh, Heather's pantry, I think is there. There's a, there's a number of different ones. Yeah. And they're all freeze dried food. They, uh, they don't agree with me too well. And after 21 days straight of eating that stuff, uh, you know, cause I worked as a guide and an out for an outfitter and, we ate a lot of mountain house from starting in September with archery season, going into me October mule deer season, going into November. I've, you know, I, I'll still eat it. One trick I'll give everybody out there to make it a little more appetizing. Take some Idaho mountain or Idaho instant potatoes. Those are good. And take a whole cube of butter. And I, you know, if I'm going for 10 days, I take two cubes of butter. So half a pound. If I'm only going for five days, I take a quarter pound of butter, but I'll slice that into, you know, fifths or sixths or whatever, and I'll put 
a chunk of that right on top of those potatoes, right on top of, because I hate runny mountain house soupy. If you, for the most part, if you put enough water in there to reconstitute it to what they say, you're, you're eating soup. You're drinking it. But if you don't have enough water, it doesn't reconstitute. Now you got dry crunchies. So I put the, I put the required amount of uh, water in and then I just sprinkle extra uh, instant idaho potatoes on top and throw the butter on it and then mix it around. And, you know, chili mac, that's not such a great idea. But beef stroganoff, <laughs> now you got like a shepherd's pie. Yeah, that's The other stuff. thing you can do is you can uh, get freeze-dried vegetables or make your own just dehydrated. So I'll just take dehydrated peas and corn and carrots, just buy frozen bags, put it in your uh, air dryer dehydrator, and then I'll just take a little bit extra of that and put that on top in so now i've got like a shepherd's pie with vegetables and it's little and and the mcdonald's salt and pepper it makes it better yeah well and you bring up a good point with the uh, butter you're going to be burning some calories anyway so having butter is always nice because your body's like give me some fuel give me some fat burning some calories i i get to the point where i just can't even eat i get you know, if we're on a really physically demanding, like a Brooks Range doll sheep hunt or a mm-hmm. high alpine mule deer hunt where we're burning 10, 12,000 calories in a day, just, you know, 12 hours on your feet hiking with all that weight, you, I get to where I just want water, but I have to kind of force myself to eat. And if the food can be a little more appetizing, yeah, I'll, I'll eat it. Now, speaking of uh, food... One of the things I do like to take is a small shaker of some kind back into the backcountry, especially if I'm going to be catching some brookies or something like that and cooking those over a fire. High Mountain Seasonings has some good ones. I don't know. Little sample size shakers that are perfect. Have you tried that Western trout? I have. It's good. And I mean, if if you take that up and you put that on, you know, a fresh caught brookie and cook it over the fire, very, very tasty stuff. You mean mountain bacon? Oh, that stuff's so good, man. Rookies, oh, they are. (laughs) I think you could live on those for quite a while before you get tired of them. Yeah, I think you could get tired of them, though. Yeah, I'm sure you could. I think anybody can get tired of anything. But if you want to try that out, go to highmountainjerky.com. Again, that Western Trout Seasoning, you can buy the little shaker if you want, or you can get the bigger bulk packs. It's up to you. Depends you on whether you're going to be living in the mountains for a while or not. But A great local Wyoming company, Hans and Kimberly and Brian, will be more than glad to help you out. And I mean, they're, they're in Bass Pros, they're in Cabela's, they're in Sportsman's, they're in yep. Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. If you can buy a sample of just this or that, and I guarantee you, you, you get, whether you're doing Bayou Bass, whether you're doing their elk, their backstrap, just their, their garlic, salt, and pepper is oh, amazing. Stuff. So I've been putting that on just about everything. <laughs> I love that stuff. We we do like food on this podcast. If Just you haven't, if you have, if this is the first time you've been listening, that's a, if we're not hunting, we're cooking. And if we're not cooking, we're fishing. If David and I weren't active people, we'd weigh 400 pounds, but we stay pretty active or at least try to. Yeah. Other than this uh, last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's been a little rough, but again, go to highmountainjerky.com, H-I-M-T-N jerky.com to, to help support those guys. So, you know, when I think about backpacking, you know, you see people sometimes heading up the trail. I'll give you a good example. This last year, I was just coming back, just coming back from the trail. And uh, we'd just done a couple of days up in the winds up high and there was a storm coming in. 
And I, and I mean, it was, it was the one that we got hit with early September that like knocked everything down and was really nasty. Well, snowed there. And I mean, this is like around Labor Day. I mean, it snowed at my house, Patrick. Yeah, it snowed. It, September the wind fourth blew or six. like crazy. So that night before that rolled in, temperature changed. We could tell it was off. And uh, we were, I think our base camp was at nine or 10,000 feet, something like that. Anyway, some of those those above timberline yeah. lakes, we won't name them specifically, but yeah. there's like 250. So you can open a map <laughs> and pick one and go to it. Yeah, we decided to hightail it out of there. We could tell storm was coming. So we got down. There's nothing more scary, Patrick, than being above timberline in a thunderstorm. I've been oh, horseback geez. and done it. Yeah, the no. horses hate it. I hate it. It's bad. And there's something called sideways lightning. So when you're down here on the flat and you see, you know, lightning strike, but it kind of spider webs out back up into the cloud. Mm, well, it's when not it, pretty. When it does that and it runs down the canyon you're in and strikes multiple trees, it's, yeah, you, lightning in the mountains you don't mess around with. High elevation and lightning are bad. But anyway, we, we got down to the trailhead. It was like six miles. Get back down there. And there were a couple of guys and they were embarking on their hike. And I said, have you guys checked the weather? And there was a long, awkward pause. And I said, do you realize there's a huge storm coming? And they said, oh, we're, we'll be fine. We've been doing this for years. Well, come to find out, it was a few months or a few weeks later, I found out those were the guys that actually got rescued a few days later that got trapped up there because it snowed a bunch up where we were. Because, like I mean, it snowed down here where inches. we live. Yeah, yeah. At, at, yeah. at our house at 5,000 feet, it snowed six inches it broke all the branches off my trees so one of the keys if you're going to go up into the high country check the weather like thunderstorms like david's talking about can kill you <laughs> snowstorms can kill you the thunderstorms last 20 30 40 minutes and they're done but they're intense but that snowstorm was i mean it dropped something like 16 to 24 inches of snow in less than 12 hours so. yeah it was a pretty intense storm and the wind was blowing really hard so i mean it was it wasn't something you wanted to be caught out in and Checking the weather is a really important part so of it. I, for a while, did a bivy sack and a hammock, and that was okay. But my, the problem I found is later into fall, when you get into a more you know, weathered hunts, you have to get up and get dressed in the wet. And if you get your stuff wet, you are just got to put it in your sleeping bag, in your bivy sack, and you get to sleep it dry. And that's... I don't like doing that. It's not fun. I... I want to get into a dry, warm bed. So <laughs> I, I now have an REI uh, quarter dome T1 tent. It's a one-person tent with a vestibule, and it weighs two and a half pounds. Yeah. has a pretty good bathtub floor, and I spent 96 hours in Alaska in that tent. I read all the instructions, uh, know every story the hunting partners that I was with <laughs> could have ever told, and they know every story about yeah. me. Yeah. And every day we'd wake up and... I mean, it was so miserable just to go to the bathroom to relieve yourself and get back in your tent was all you, I mean, it was, we were, we got, had a storm hit in the Brooks Range in Alaska, which is 200 miles from the Bering Sea, but you're north of the Arctic Circle in September. So uh, the fog and snow and rain came in and we didn't get too much snow, maybe four to six inches, but I was, I mean, thank goodness for, for that Gore-Tex bathtub floor because my air mattress was floating oh geez we had uh kind of dug out the hill a little bit to because the wind is i mean it's there's no trees there mm -hmm. and so 
you know, the one side of my tent was probably 16 inches below grade. And then the front of the tent was at grade. But when we got that four inches of snow and it started melting and we're on the sloped hillside anyway, so the whole hillside running, you know, the runoffs all running towards you. Well, I'd made a flat spot. So I was sleeping not on a slope, but a flat. <laughs> well, where'd all that water collect right there. And that was, was dang cold. Patrick having two or three inches of water bed below your tent I had a little water in the tent just from condensation and me and stuff. But, you know, again, 96 hours in a tent is a long time. And gear is so important. But if I'd had, well, hammock wouldn't even work. But if I just said, you know what, I'm going to take a bivy sack. Oh, that would have been miserable. Yeah. So having the right gear, that's kind of where we started this. And, you know, that Kafaru pack, the shoulder straps, the hip belt, the curvature of the lumbar support. I like the load lifter straps too. Oh, you can really suck that weight down and have it kind of curl up over the top of your shoulders. And so easy to adjust it. I yeah. mean, it's well, except for my left arm now. <laughs> but, you know, in general, for those of you with working shoulders, it works pretty well. Um. <laughs> so, you know, one tip I did learn in, in scouts a long time ago is you kind of want to break up your weight that you're going to be putting in your backpack in thirds. And you really want to put a third in the bottom third, a third in the top third, and a third in the middle of your pack. You don't want 60% of your weight in the bottom or 60% of the weight in the top of your pack. That'll make your pack super top heavy, and it'll start pulling you left and right every step. And that's going to be fatiguing when you're having to overcorrect to to stop that backpack from, from swaving too far. So it just, and I mean, I'm, I didn't tell you what weight you put in your backpack. I just said, you break that up into, I'm putting about a third of the weight in the bottom third of the bag, about a third of the weight in the top third and the rest in the middle. And I like to take lots of stuff sacks. They're light, they're easy. I can keep, you know, camera items separate from kill kit items, separate from food items, separate from clothing items. And I can just quickly go through and pull those little bags out and rearrange what I need. Yeah. That makes a big difference being able to keep things organized in your pack. Especially if you're, you know, if you're doing like a progressive trip where you're going to fish multiple lakes and you're going to be camping and tearing down and, and putting camp up every day. Yeah. You, you need to get a pretty good system down and, and definitely don't wait till you're at the trailhead getting out of the car to go well am i taking this toothbrush and this sock or not no you need to go through and <laughs> i mean that's that's part of the fun for me is putting my kit together and you know i kind of feel like i've extended my season because two three weeks before season i'll start going through and putting stuff together one thing i've done is you know i'm i'm mission oriented as far as hunting i'm i'm most likely if i'm backpacking somewhere we're going hunting. You can twist my arm and I'll go fishing, but I, I'm not just going to go climb a mountain and take a picture. I, I'll either have a tag or a fishing pole in my backpack. So it's one way to extend my season and, and kind of get me in the game. And one thing I've found that's really cool is I take my game bags, a pair of rubber gloves, some of my paracord and take some other small items. And I put a kill kit together, the things that I absolutely have to have after I've been lucky enough to harvest something but I vacuum seal that with my food saver vacuum bag, get all the air out of those game bags. It makes this nice little tiny kill kit, you know, that's just, I just keep throwing it in the bottom of every backpack. And when I'm finally successful, 
take my knife, open that up, and it saves a lot of space by by doing that. So, yeah. And while we're talking about it, if you're going to go fishing up in the high country, you probably want to take you know some smaller stuff. You're probably going to be carrying some flies. If you're going to take a spinning reel. One thing I recommend is the 16th ounce and 8th ounce PK spoons and PK predators because those work really well on trout up in the high country. There's nothing wrong, even if you're elk hunting, to throw just one of those and even just a little bit of, you know, they have these collapsible fourth piece rods. Yep. And you could, you know, if if hunting's slow, you can take a half hour and fish a lake and catch a trout and have some fresh dinner. Here's another tip. You don't even have to take a rod if you don't want to. You can take a willow and cut it and tie some, just take a roll of monofilament and some hooks and, you know, go catch a grasshopper on the bank and you can catch fish that way. My dad is famous for having a sandwich Ziploc baggie with a leader and a few flies in it. And every day, midday, while the rest of us are taking naps, getting ready to, you know, hit it hard again, right before dark when the elk are active, you'll wake up from your nap and he'll be over there trying to catch a a three inch fingerling brookie somewhere (laughs) in a stream. That's no joke a foot and a half wide and three inches deep, but he'll find one. Yep, exactly. But if you want to try those PK spoons, they work really well in the high country and they do cast well. You can cast them out, let them sink, kind of pop them, let them sink, you know, to get that kind of that fluttering action on them and that darting action. And boy, those brook trout really like it. So if you want to try those, I would recommend the gold for sure. There's a gold, a nickel, copper, those three colors work in high mountain lakes anywhere. And so you can get those. They also have the fire tiger, which works pretty well. Um, there's a pink one. That one's really good for trout and crappie and different things like that. But I mean, you're not going to catch crappie in the mountains, but for your trout fishing works really well. So you can get those at pklure.com. Again, another sponsor of our podcast that we really like. So check those out and put some of those in your pack. They don't take out much room at all. We'll be we'll be doing some more fishing with open water and solid water with some PK stuff. So for sure, and and we do have a promo code with them. Yep. So if you're going to get one of their spoon kits, let's say you're going to go up and you know fish. Well, you could go anywhere. I guess any of those big lakes for big lake trout or walleye through the ice. There's the Winnipeg kit and a few others. But if you buy one of those big spoon kits and you put in rad. At checkout, you get free Wyoming blades, and they're basically uh, extra attractant that you can put on the uh, split ring of your lures, and it makes kind of a clicking sound under the water, and it does work really well to call in the fish. Are those better in, like, brackish water? It, either or would way. would you still use those in the high, clear lakes? I probably wouldn't use them as much in the high mountain lakes, but I'll tell you what, ice fishing, doesn't matter if it's clear water or what, they work really well. But go to pklure.com. You can pick up some of those. They'll they'll be a game changer for you. So what's some other stuff you put in your kit, Patrick, on your backpacking adventures? I'm very food-oriented, so we've covered a lot of it. I mean, I, I, I do like to enjoy my meals and enjoy, you know, just being comfortable up there. So butter is important. Seasonings, you know, I'll typically pack a little bit. You can take, you know, a small some of those small Ziplocs, you know, the real small pouches put different seasonings in there if you don't want to carry an entire shaker. So food's really important on a five-day or a 10-day excursion type trip. It doesn't matter if you're Brooks Range. It doesn't matter if you're high alpine mule deer. It doesn't matter if you're just high lakes. 
you need to kind of have an itinerary and a plan. You definitely need to, you know, journey management. You need to tell somebody when you're supposed to be leaving, where when you're, you're supposed to be yeah. back, where you're going, because well, <clears throat> we, we'll have some more podcasts exactly why later, but it's... Yeah. What trailhead did you leave from? What drainage did you go up? How far are you planning to go? Where are you planning to have your base camp? You know, those, those are important details. And even if you just throw a note in the dash of your car, you know, it could be folded closed, but at some point in time, if you're overdue and there's a couple things called spot or Garmin inreach or a PLB personal locator beacon, I would highly recommend that, especially if you're solo, get one of those things It it will save your life period. But even in a group, I like to have that capability, but at the same time, Letting the spouses know or letting the neighbor know that, hey, if uh, if I'm not back by X date, mm-hmm. send, send, the, send the search party, send the rescue team out. Another thing that you should have on you, especially if you're in our country, is you need to have bear spray. I always carry a multi-tool as well because if something, you know, if I need the multi-tool to fix something on my pack or fix something... Duct tape, it's zip ties, and yes. a Leatherman, and you can fix a lot <laughs> Just of broken about anything, stuff. Right? And paracord. So, yeah, paracord's a lifesaver, too. So those kind of things are important. But, I mean, we've, again, food is probably one of my favorite things. Because, I mean, I'm usually only doing a two- to three-day. You know, I don't go up there for the long, extended periods like you do. So well, what I pack I do, a little more in the food and the weight. On the On the... And you can for three days. You yep. can definitely have a little. I I definitely I admit that I'm caloric deficient. I mean, I'm burning seven, eight, nine thousand, and I can I can backpack maybe twenty five hundred. Three's pretty hard. And there's a diminishing returns. If I start trying to pack four or five thousand calories of food a day, I've now got a ninety pound pack. So now instead of putting out six thousand calories of energy, I'm putting out twelve thousand calories. So so it's it's self-sacrificing. Well, and when you've hiked really hard, you're not going to, you're going to eat a meal, but you're not going to want to eat three mountain houses or something like that. I mean, you're just, you just can't. Yeah. So you physically can't do it. What I do is I either use gallon bags or uh, vacuum seal bags, either gallon bags or vacuum seal bags. And I go through and kind of, you know, I'll buy a whole thing of oatmeal and I'll buy six mountain houses and I'll buy the breakfasts and I'll buy the candy bars and the power bars or make my own trail mix or whatever I've decided. And you can, I mean, we're not going to go into super, super detail. I already told you to try and hit that thousand calories, um, per pound. So you're, you're, you're going to, and you're going to try and stick between two and three pounds per day of food. You know, you can, depending on your body and your type and whatever, you can sway it and your taste. But I'm, I go through and, you know, put those two oatmeal packets, put those mini Snicker bars, put that, uh, whatever I'm doing for lunch, whatever I'm doing for dinner, you know, in one bag, vacuum seal it, or just close the gallon bag and write day one. Right. And I open that up and sometimes I don't eat all the food. And so I just kind of keep want the day one bag and just keep throwing extras. And, you know, you'll find like on a sheep hunt, we planned on going for 10. I took 11 days worth of food because, you know, and I ended up packing out two mountain houses. Now I ate pretty much everything else. I actually got into day 11 food on day 10. I still had two more mountain houses, but I'd started 
uh, poaching the Snickers bars and the others. So. <laughs> Gotta love Snickers bars. But having an extra mountain house or two in your pack, having a couple extra oatmeals, I mean, it weighs nothing. It doesn't take up that much room. And if for whatever reason you you have to stay out, I can remember spring bear hunting, oh, 2009 circa, we drew tags and we were hunting northeast Oregon. And we're sitting up on the, uh, we'd have been on the south side of, I'll give it to you, the Inaha River. That's the unit we drew. And we're glassing kind of the north side. And uh, we actually killed a bear. We went down to the trailhead, started going up. And here comes this hiker hiking out. And he's just all frantic. You got to help my buddy. You got to help my buddy. And we're kind of asking him what's wrong. And I mean, that that's particular spring bear hunt. There'd been a lot of snow day one. I mean, we drove on 16 inches of snow to get into camp. And then it rained for like two and a half days straight. And all that snow melted. Well, those streams, those hikers crossed like five, six streams that were ankle deep. They come back down to them and they're waist or, or chest deep. Yeah, they may only be 10 yards across, 20, 30 feet. But. So they decided that the taller of the two would go across and he took paracord and they had a pulley and they were going to tie the shorter guy's backpack to the rope and pulley and pull his backpack across. Well, it got halfway across the water, you know, when it was pulling at an angle, it wasn't putting all the load on it. When it got right in the middle of the stream, it just put all the load on both sides of the paracord and snapped. And the guy lost his backpack, right? Now, he was maybe four miles from the truck. He wasn't 10 miles, but he wasn't two. And this guy's just all frantic. We need to call search and rescue his buddy, his buddy. We're like, well, is he hurt? No, he's just stuck on the other side. Well, okay, you know. Does he have a way to make fire? This, I mean, you got to think about all these things. And, I mean, it, it ended up that... I think another group had was riding horses in front of us, rode up, loaded them on a horse. I mean, they, they were like six hours in front of us going up. We were going to go get our bear. And so they turned around and rode him across the one stream, and he ended up walking in. Yeah, he's a little wet, a little cold, but we I, I beckon back all the way to podcast number one. What's the most, most important tool you can take in the mountains? It's your, your noggin. Yep. Buck Tilton, you know, said that. So you know that guy was super animated and worried but it you you looked at the whole situation it wasn't a search and rescue at that with that information it wasn't quite search and rescue now it was very close and very quickly could turn into so that i mean going into some more of that gear and we talked about it i have um some really cool puffy pants and and jacket Yep. And down kind of stuff is great. There's some new quicks down that's hydrophobic. So it actually um, has been chemically or electron electrically treated. I'm not sure exactly which, but it, it shuns water. And that's been the big downside of down pun intended <laughs> is you get it wet and it loses yeah. all its properties. But this new down, I mean, I can compress it into a Nalgene bottle, the pants and the jacket. And then I have a waterproof layer that goes over top of that, that, I fold up that weighs so it got a little more heft to it because it's a you know waterproof cortex garment but you can still roll it up to where it's still a little bit bigger than an algae bottle so I have these two algae bottles that I now have a insulation layer bottom and top and a waterproof layer bottom and top and that will be in my 22 mag whether I'm leaving the trail at 80 degrees or two degrees or, or in between and it's because we can get one of those freak storms that rolls over and 
That's it, Wyoming. Even if the weatherman says it's going to be nice today, we still get an isolated little pocket, and you can have two, three inches of snow, and you're you're starting out in 70 degrees, you know, shorts and T-shirt weather, and all of a sudden you've got heavy, wet snow, and you're now getting into hypothermic zone. So, you know, stopping anymore, I used to just tough it up and just keep going, right? Oh, it'll it'll quit raining. I'll dry out. No, I if it you'll hate it if you hike with me because i stopped 12 times during the day to adjust my layering to the conditions now if i'm going uphill i'm going to stop and pull a couple off i crest the top and i'm either sitting there glassing or going to just start creeping down i put my pack down i grab an, an extra layer and put it on and i'm all the time regulating what how many layers are on my body and i usually pack three for the bottom kind of a base layer, my outer layer, and then my rain pant layer. Sometimes, you know, I'll have that uh, puffy pant if it's getting later in the, if August, I, the puffy pants wouldn't be in there, but I would have a base layer, a regular pant, and a waterproof layer. So I'd have three layers for the bottom. Yeah. And anytime we get later than August, starting in September, the puffy pants go in and stay. And usually like November cow elk hunt, the puffy pants are already on, you know, yeah. it's nine degrees. Uh, up top, I kind of run five layers. You know, I have two base layer shirts. I have a vest, and then I'll have that puffy uh, jacket, and then the rain layer. And so with with three to four layers on the bottom and five layers up top, I can, I can put all that on. Definitely gloves. Uh, I got a baklava or a hat of some kind, some sort of head covering. Uh, you can... You'd be surprised. I mean, if you've got good good rain layer and a good insulation layer, I mean, I've been cold, but I've spent the night out just all night for various reasons, and it's pretty nice. If, if, if whether you're getting caught out or you're self-inflicted caught out, if you have that puffy layer and you can pull that out and put that on, by no means am I saying I was comfortable and I was just oblivious, but... Without that puffy layer, I would have been hypothermic. Yeah. Layers are important. One thing that will get you in a hurry up in the backcountry is uh, hypothermia. So you got to be ready for the weather and anything it's going to throw at you. So, And most of those fatalities that we've had, uh, it's usually a single person. But it starts with something small like a sprained ankle or a, a, a torn, torn rotator cuff from just a, a simple trip and fall, <laughs> right? right? turns into, you know, a puncture wound. I've seen lots of those turn into, you know, once you get lost and delirious and dehydrated and you start wandering around and you're, you can even be a mile from the truck, you'll die. Mother nature doesn't care. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of interesting how fragile we actually are. We think we're really tough, but when it comes down to it, we're pretty darn fragile. I mean, temperature regulations, big dehydration, you know, nutrition, safety you know you get injured i mean there's there's a lot of factors at play the biggest thing is just be prepared and if you need something you've got it you know and and don't skimp on those things that are really critical like layering i mean and i mean the old adage if you have one you have none if you have two you have one right so two methods of fire starting two methods of water purification you know i do not have a backup for the puffy kind of stuff but i 
depending on what it is, I do have a sleeping bag that I was going to say, you have a sleeping bag you can jump into if you had to. Yeah. And no, I'm not taking two tents, but some, depending on the trip, I take a, I, I bought this a long time ago and it's something that goes in my pack quite often is I bought the footprint for a Cabela's three person tent. It's, you know, just super thin bathtub material, Gore-Tex rainfly. It's got four, you know, guys corners and I'll all the time run a piece of paracord and a hiking pole and I'll make a little glassing shelter out of that with four feet of paracord and a pole in the middle and I can sit under that and it can rain and I'm out of the wind, out of the rain pretty pretty quickly. So that even when my, uh, if I'm just day hunting somewhere, I typically have my hiking poles, I have some sort of a tarp and you know I've got some way to start fire and have I usually throw an extra mountain house just in my backpack. I don't plan on eating that. I don't, but you know, <laughs> there's been a couple times we've harvested an elk at six, seven o'clock at night. Well, usually we're turning by eight thirty. We're turning and burning and hitting the trailhead and going back to base camp and getting in a nice sleeping bag and having a nice meal over a real propane stove. Right? We're having right. potatoes and bacon. Well, <clears throat> when we've harvested those elk, by the time we get them processed and done and up and secured out of the way of the grizzly bears it's midnight one o'clock and you know it's pretty nice to be able to pull out a a a little camp stove and take some extra water and have a hot meal when you haven't had anything to eat for six seven hours and do it quick yeah yeah that's a big deal so stoves you know there's a huge argument on them i'm thankful we don't have to pack the white gas stoves around anymore they were smelly and leaky and actually a little bit dangerous some of these new stoves with this isobutane fuel, you know, you can get a good, a good solid week of boils out of, you know, a, a, what are they, six, eight ounce can. Yeah, so, the jet boil seems to work pretty darn well. I'm not as big a fan of the jet boil. I burned the uh, fins off the bottom. I have a um, Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have fins on the bottom and cool thing is is that stove folds up and fits in the bottom of the fuel canister canister goes in the pot with lid and that pot and lid can double as a fry pan a hot cocoa cup so and it it does it actually has fins on the bottom of the main cup but they're heavier duty fins that won't melt off i we got in a situation where we ran out of water sheep hunting and it was frozen like my i had water in my bladder but my hose had frozen through the night and so we tried melting a little snow, and it's not to throw jet boil under the bus. I used one of those for 10 years, and it was fine. But when I needed it in that quasi-emergency situation, it kind of let me down. So, I mean, I have, I'm not trying to tell you don't get one. That jet boil worked just fine, but definitely was isobutane stoves. Are <laughs> They're a good way to go. They weigh less than a pound. You throw that, an extra Nalgene of water, and a mountain house in your backpack, and, oh, you're getting stuck out. Now you just went from borderline having eaten for 12 hours. I need to get out of here to, you know what? I had a mountain house and I got under my tarp and now I'm going to, in the daylight, source out where I need to go, what I need to do. And that's probably the biggest thing. We've said it once in this podcast. We said on very first podcast with with Buck Tilton is, you know, your brain is the most important thing you can pack And, and not panicking. And, you know, a lot of people have gotten themselves in, in worse trouble when they get in one of these emergency situations by just panicking and and running around you know if they would have just sat down and waited 
sometimes help or rescues an hour behind them on the trail. Yeah. The other thing too is plan your hike, plan wherever you're going. You know, David talked about a little bit, leave those plans behind also, you know, leave a copy so people know where you're going, but make sure you know where you're going. Don't just wing it. You know, sometimes winging it can turn out very badly for you if you put yourself in a bad spot and don't know exactly where you're at. So at least try to have it planned out. So that leads me to the personal locator beacon. I uh, got dropped off in the Brooks Range for a caribou hunt, and uh, the pilot didn't come back. Oh, geez. Yeah. and uh, That would not be fun. I had left the sat phone with, uh, you know, we, they had to split our party in half to be able to fly in the plane just too much. The plane can haul two people at a time, and we had three people, so, and we we had enough gear and the plane could actually haul three people total. So the pilot and two people, well, we had three people. So the plane had to make two trips and I elected, I drew the short straw and got to go with all the primary gear to the camp. So we left all the secondary gear at our first camp with the two hunters. And I went out with the primary gear, you know, but I left them the sat phone. I took, half the gear they had half the gear right i took the main stove they had the backup stove whatever we back to that adage if you have one you have none if you have two you have one so we only had one sat phone i left it with them uh i sat there and day three the pilot finally came back no communication you know day one i hunted about a mile from camp solo by myself and kind of decided that i was kind of dumb i mean do people do people do it all the time? Yes, but all I had to do was fall down, hit my head, or sprain my ankle, and I'm now in pretty big trouble. And I mean, I I didn't know at that time had the pilot crashed and not even told anybody where it was. Right, the hardest part of that for me was day two midday, a gal in a fishing wildlife plane flew over at about thirty feet, and you know I waved at her sitting there by camp with my fire and. It just a friendly wave, like, yeah, I'm okay, everything's fine. But I was sitting there wondering, because I'm 70, 80 miles from a road. I'm like, should I have been flagging her down and asking for a ride <laughs> out of this place? So it, it eventually yeah. turned out all right. But since then, I've always had a personal lake locator beacon in my backpack. Whether I'm doing a, a one-mile hike into a high mountain lake where cell phone service is spotty, or if I'm doing another 14-day expedition in the Brooks Range, I have... And you can test the batteries. And mine's a little different, but the one that I've really seen used well is the Spot or the uh, Garmin or Dolores, Delorum in reach. You can text. You can send pre-recorded messages or actually now the new ones, you can Wi-Fi link to your phone and send messages. Now, if your phone dies, uh, you can still do the pre-recorded, but even if you, everything dies, you can still hit that SOS button and it's going to send out a beacon and search and rescue is going to know exactly where you are. Yeah. So if you're deep in the country, that's definitely something you want. Sat phones. I mean, and we, I now like to have one of those and a sat phone in camp because with sat phone, you know, if it's not as life or death emergency where, you know, maybe somebody's just, I, I mean, sprained ankle, snake bite, something that's definitely need to be evacuated for, but you know, it could be, at the convenience of the outfitter that dropped you off versus having the coasties show up with the coastal helicopter and pick you up. So, you know, depending on what level of cavalry you need to call in, it's kind of nice to have the sat phone and just 
maybe you just need, I need to call Patrick and say, Hey, come up with an extra <laughs> horse and come get me. There you go. Well, we need to talk about one more sponsor, Bow Spider. You guys have been busy. It's been hopping, which is really good. But if you're out there, you're listening to this podcast and you've never heard of the bow spider and you're a bow hunter, you're way behind. You need I'd to- ask you, do you live under a rock at this point? <laughs> but no, bow spider is a you know, universal bow packing system, bow packing and storage system I developed so that I could better utilize my bow in the field. It reduces fatigue. It mounts anywhere and everywhere. Check out the videos of it on the headrest of your pickup, on the wall at home, on your tree stand up and down your tree with no pull rope. And finally, on my new Kafaru pack, it has that handle on the bottom. I have my bow spider on the top. I actually flip that handle up and over the bottom cam of my bow, completely locks my bow to that pack. And there's no side-to-side swing. And I can reach back and just flip that handle down and then pull my bow over the top of my pack and get to it instantaneously. So again, if you want to pack your bow with ease, you want to keep it, where you need it, whether that be on your hip, on your back, wherever it might be, grab a bow spider, bowspider.com. So final thoughts on uh, just backpacking and things people need to think about or, or do. Well, my very first 50 miler with Boy Scouts, I was 14 and we did the Three Sisters Wilderness in Oregon. And I watched these people and the first sister's a, a heavy day hike, but it can be done. And here's these people with their yuppie dog and their fanny pack with two water bottles and their two hiking poles and I look at them and I mean here I am 14 with a 50 55 pound pack for uh you know our 50 milers lasted like five six days 10 miles a day usually and I got to go on three of those it was really good it was really neat as a young man to get to my brother and my dad and I all got to go on one together and it was just we fished high mountain lakes we caught brookies we packed in marshmallows and I do remember there was a little bit of a, uh, a slower individual in our uh, in our troop, and I was definitely one of the uh, the lighter footed ones. About day three, they took half of his food and put in my backpack, and I was I was <laughs> livid. I was like, man, I and I in in hindsight and retrospect, that's probably the right thing the scoutmasters did. Was you know I was. 500 to a thousand yards ahead of everybody all the time. And he was 500 to a thousand yards behind everybody all the time. So they kind of went, Hey, we'll, we'll swap weight here and slow him down and speed him up. But anyways, um, back to the sissy sticks. And I saw the, the, the yuppies and I'll probably get in trouble, but they might've been wearing Birkenstocks while hiking. Um, I looked at them, I went, what? you know, here I am with this 50 pound pack and you have a water bottle and a fanny pack and you need hiking poles. What's wrong with you, right? Well, now that I've used a pair between Alaska and Wyoming, um, you won't catch David without his sissy sticks anywhere. It reduces so much of the stabilization fatigue that your legs take over just keeping you upright. You know, you can now just lean forward like you have two handle rails going up a mountain, right? Mm-hmm. And what it, equates to is I can hike 20, 30% further and longer than you can with the same weight because I've, I'm utilizing all four of my limbs instead of two. So I, I'm sorry to the people that I made fun of <laughs> on my 50 milers with your hiking poles. You, you, you were uh, smarter than me. I can admit it. And the biggest thing too, be prepared to have fun 
enjoy the outdoors. That's what it's all about. I mean, be responsible out there, clean up after yourself, but Oh, certainly. And it's, it's good to get out though, man. Oh, I'm, I'm itching. I'm yeah. starting to feel better and it's the weather is it's hot right now, but I can feel the days are days are starting to turn a little bit. Yeah. So if you enjoyed this episode, uh, there's a lot more of them. <laughs> you can go to radcastoutdoors.com. You can go to Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just about anywhere that you get your podcasts and listen to more. And, and we uh, are by no way, means, shape, or form sponsored by Kufaru. So that's kind of an honest review of their backpack. It's They're, a sweet backpack. It's a sweet backpack. You know, those guys have put together a very quality product. If you haven't checked them out, you should go check them out there. There's something else, but we'll be back again soon. Uh, David and I, we've got a lot going on, but we will get back and do some more episodes for you before too long. So be patient with us during this busy season and bear with us. We're out trying to uh, fill some freezers, but we will, uh, we'll do our best to get some, some guests coming your way. So again, go to radcastoutdoors.com, like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Mm -hmm.